Hi everyone, this is Ashley Latecki Ellenboss with Sky House Herb School and Apothecary. And today we are going to be offering our fifth talk as part of our Heart of the Sacred Feminine series. And today's topic is the ecstasy of Lord Chaitanya. And this is a topic I know Rukmini is very excited to talk about mm -hmm. and share some insights and inspirations with you. Um, before we begin this talk, I do want to remind everyone that we have four previous talks. So if you haven't listened to them or would like to, you can find them on my YouTube channel, on Nightlight Astrology, and also you can join Rukmini's Patreon community, and we'll offer a link to that in the description of this talk so you can follow her and also gain access to many more things beyond just these, these four talks that we've previously recorded. So today we'll be exploring the life in ecstasy. And I want to just emphasize that word because that's going to come up a lot in our talk of Lord Chaitanya, a 15th century Indian saint and avatar who really deeply shaped the practice of bhakti as we know it today. So before we begin our discussion, uh, Rukmini, would you open us with some prayers? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. I'll say some prayers in Sanskrit, and then I'm going to share some blessings for all of you from the um, followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaksun Militangi Natas Mai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manavistam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Sayam Rupakadamayam Dadati Sapadantikam Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Shimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamini Tinamide Namaste Saraswati Deve Goravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Sunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine Manchaka Patarubyas Chakri Pashindu Vaivacha Matitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Atvaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gora Bhakta Vindam Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare now here are two blessing prayers, one from the Chaitanya Charitamrita and one from the Chaitanya Bhagavad. Narpita charim chirat karuna bhavati nakalo samar paitam natuchvalagasam svabhakti shriyam Hari Purata Sundara Dutika Dambha Sandipita Sada Hridaya Kandaves Purutuva Satinandanaha May that Lord, who is known as the son of Srimati Sachi Devi, which is Lord Chaitanya, be transcendentally situated in the innermost chambers of your heart resplendent with the radiance of molten gold. He has appeared in the age of Kali by his causeless mercy to bestow what no incarnation has ever offered before, the most sublime and radiant spiritual knowledge of the mellow taste of his service.
I worship their lordships, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Sri Nityananda Prabhu, whose long arms extend down to their knees, whose beautiful complexions have the color and radiance of molten gold. They have initiated the congregational chanting of the names of Lord Krishna, and their elongated eyes are like red lotuses. They are the maintainers of the universe, the topmost of the brahmanas, the guardians of religious principles for this age, the munificent benefactors of all living entities, and the most merciful and compassionate incarnations of Godhead. Thank you all so much. Mm, thank you. Wow. I mean, I think you, you really feel the mood of Lord Chaitanya in those prayers, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, just almost like dripping with ecstasy and yeah. dripping with compassion. You know, I love that line from Shakespeare. The quality of mercy is not strained. It falleth as the gentle rain mm. from heaven. You know, so yeah, that compassion, that uh, that mercy, that munificence is so true. Thank you. It's palpable. Yeah. Wow. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's interesting because we were talking before a little bit about who Lord Chaitanya, you know, who he is. And, you know, I, in English, you know, we sometimes fumble for the words and we say saint and we say, you know, avatar, um, so, you know, you, you had, a, a, I think, a little bit of a, of a broader description of Lord Chaitanya. Could you, could you share this with us? Yes. Well, those who are followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the tradition. So this tradition, so Bhakti Yoga is called Vaishnavism or the worship of, of the different forms of Vishnu, Krishna, Vishnu, Ram, Sita. Um, but um, so those who follow the tradition were called Chaitanya Vaishnavas or Gaudiya Vaishnavas because that area of Bengal is Gauda, Gauda Desh. So those in the tradition, we, we consider him to be um, the combined form of Shishi, Radha, and Krishna. And um, so he's, he's sort of like the, like one, one beautiful song calls him Sara Avatar. Um, Sara avatar Shashti Ramani, that the um, the essence of all avatars, because he he gave what no other avatar gave before. Um, he gave this um, just unconditional access to to his mercy to all people. Um, in in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's described that he and his associates they they just broke open the treasure house of love of God. And they were just freely giving it um, to people who had no access before, you know, previously, or in other, um, you know, more sectarian traditions. Um, this is only meant for the high caste Brahmins, born in a Brahmin family, or only the men, only those born in those high caste families. But Lord Chaitanya gave it to everyone unconditionally. And um, as a matter of fact, he made uh, Haridas Thakur, he called him the Nama Acharya or the, the great teacher of the holy name. Although he was considered an outcast by others, he was born in a Muslim family. So he, Lord Chaitanya, uplifted him as the greatest taster or, or knower of the holy name. So this is the mood of Lord Chaitanya. And I, I would say that those who follow him, this is their mood of, of inclusion and diversity and compassion. And sometimes they would get in trouble from the caste brahmanas who thought and felt very differently. Um, as a matter of fact, my guru, Srila Prabhupada, his guru, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, he brought a group of uh, several thousand uh, followers, disciples to Vrindavan once, um, the holy city of Vrindavan where the worship of Krishna is so sacred. And many of the temples, they just slammed the doors um, on them and, and, and they stoned them. They were throwing rocks at them because he was accepting and um, you know, elevating people who they considered to be low class. As a matter of fact, at that time, there were even attempts on his life 
there's a story that one police officer said, because in India, often the police can tend to be a little bit, what would you say, bribable? Uh, it could be corrupt. So this police officer came, approached him and said, usually we do take these kinds of bribes, but not for a holy person like you. So be careful because uh, there are people here who are trying to kill you. So then, uh, yeah. And then Srila Prabhupada, my guru, he came to the West without discrimination that this, this path of bhakti is for everyone. And many people criticized him for that. And many people still criticize him. Actually, there's one story I can share that uh, when Srila Prabhupada was coming to the West, he had his, he waited till he'd completed his translation of the first three volumes, the whole first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So he was in a group of sadhus having a sangha in Vrindavan before he left. And he told these sadhus, which was a mixed group, you know, he told them, so these books are going to New York. And so I would like you to bless them. So he passed his three volumes that he was taking with him in these trunks. He passed them around to the group and asked for every, all the sadhus to bless them. And then he said to them, and someone needs to carry them. So, <laughs> so please bless me also. So these, some of them were very sectarian and they, they felt at that time that a sannyasi should never cross the ocean. So there's so many sectarian rules once I don't know if I mentioned you, but once Prabhupada said, if I told you all the rules, you would faint. <laughs> you know, so this is about going to the essence. The, the teachings of Lord Chaitanya are about going to the essence and casting aside the external formalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot like raising children. You know, you, you <laughs> teach them rules to keep them safe and to teach them that essence. But as they get older and mature, it's like you have to you know, it's really not the rules as much as it is the principles, right? And the values. Yeah, understanding the essence, because as they grow, they're supposed to internalize those values, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the, the time that Lord Chaitanya lived in, in the 15th century in India. Can you paint us a little bit more of a picture of what life was like and what his childhood was like? Like, who was he coming up in that world? Yeah, so he was born in a, a, a Brahmin family. His father was a respected teacher, but he was, uh, so if I can give a geographical context, it was the area called Navadweep, which is part of West Bengal. So at the time of India's partition, Bengal was divided into uh, Bangladesh and, and what's now West Bengal. So in this area of Navadweep, it was a great center of learning. And there were many, um, many scholars, many teachers, and it was famous all over India. But they were mostly studying these external formularies, um, studying logic, grammar, many rules of Sanskrit grammar, which apparently takes 25 years to really master. And they would debate, and these scholars would be, you know, in an egoistic kind of way, they'd be having their scholarly egoistic debate and defeating the other one. And then the one who was defeated has to sign a paper that, yes, I'm now your disciple. And uh, so it was very hierarchical and very, um, you know, sort of a materialistic um, way of studying the Vedas. And, and it's interesting when you, when you hear the word Veda, it's so com it really means knowledge. So there's Ayurveda, as you know, you know, the science of life-giving herbs. There's uh, Dhanurveda, the science of warfare. All knowledge is supposed to be included in the Vedas. But a lot of the Vedic um, teachings are about just sort of these materialistic elevations to a higher strata by, so there's, you know, like good, like we, we use the term good karma. So actually the word karma means um, pious work. And then there's v-karma, which would be motivated action, self-motivated action, but not following those rules, which like prohibitive action. And then the path of bhakti is considered, Bhagavad Gita describes as akarma. So when, when you act in bhakti, offering your work, offering your food, offering your life, whatever you're doing, to the service of, of, of Krishna or God by any name, then that doesn't create a, a good reaction or a bad reaction. And it's, it's liberating. 
Mm. So, um, yeah, so they were all about these kind of like elevation to higher planets by study of this, that, and the other thing. And there was also a lot of Shaktism, which is an interesting point to mention, because um, even now today in Bengal, many people worship the goddess, but um, more goddesses in in lower modes, like uh, uh, Kali, goddess Kali, goddess Chandi, even goddess Durga. Um, but they worship the goddess without, like the energy without the energetic. So the energetic source is Krishna or Ram or Vishnu or Lord Chaitanya. So they are fond of worshiping the goddess. And it's almost as though the worshiper is kind of putting himself in the role of the energetic or the enjoyer. So to worship the goddess without, worship the energy without the energetic, that's not the path of bhakti. So there was a lot of that kind of manipulative uh, shakta worship at that time. But, um, but there was a small group of cloistered devotees of Krishna, who, and their hearts were breaking to see that this, uh, the whole society was covered by this materialistic religion and people were not really thinking of uplifting themselves spiritually. They were only thinking in materialistic and hierarchical ways. So they were meeting and, um, and, and they were crying for the appearance of the Lord. Please come and, and correct the, the people in their behaviors and in their thinking and in their worship. And in particular, Sri Advaita Acharya, um, he was the head of the Brahmin community. It's interesting to point out that he was the dearmost friend of Haridas Thakur. So this so-called outcast person, Haridas, and Advaita Acharya, who was a very pure Brahmana, pure Bhakta, they would meet and they would dance and they would cry, when, when will the Lord come to correct the situation? So every day, Advaita Acharya would offer tulsi leaves and Ganges water and cry and beg the Lord to please come, please appear. And so it's considered that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Chaitanya, appeared due to the um, heartfelt cries of Sri Advaita Acharya. Mm. So. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, it seems like there's, um, you know, it seems like it, this, the scene at that time was, was quite different than the bhakti yoga scene. Like if you've ever been to the bhakti center in New York city or been to live kirtans on the street corner, um, that didn't exist before Lord Chaitanya, right? Like, so yeah. was there a bhakti scene then, or was he, was he really the one that birthed that, you know, bhakti as we know it today? There was a closed kind of a cloistered behind closed door, closed doors, um, sharing of bhajan, sharing of Krishna's name. I mean, Radha and Krishna are mentioned in the original Vedas. Sometimes people like to criticize and say, oh, this is some fabrication of the bhakti renaissance of the 16th century. But no, Radharani's name, Krishna's name are there in the original Vedas. And they're great teachers, Lord Chaitanya's favorite poets, um, Chandidas, Kalidas, um, Vidyapati. They were from hundreds of years before his appearance. But it was cloistered, and they would they would do their bhajan behind closed doors. As a matter of fact, when Lord Chaitanya, first he was acting like an arrogant scholar, um, and then at, at a certain point he began to reveal his divinity, and and at that time they were having these kirtans behind closed doors, and and they wouldn't allow anyone to enter who wasn't pure in heart. Um, yeah, there's a couple of stories that go along with that. There was one. He was really quite pure, but he was not really on the path. He was a, um, what's called a tapasvi or renunciate, and he was living only drinking milk. And he wanted to see Lord Chaitanya's kirtan that was all behind closed doors. And he was begging Srivastakur, please let me see, let me come in and see. I just want to see the great devotees dance. And, you know, they were all prohibited from letting anyone in who wasn't invited. And so... Shivas Thakur was very soft-hearted and compassionate, and he he let this this uh, this man sneak in and hide in a corner. And then the, Lord Chaitanya said, "Oh, I'm I'm not feeling the usual ecstasy today. There's someone here who who is who's not meant to be here." And then um, they Shivas admitted, "Oh, he brought this person in." And Lord Chaitanya said to him, 
do you think you can win the mercy of God just by performing austerities of drinking milk? No, it comes by grace and by devotion. So then this man was elevated to the place of, of devotion. Um, so yeah, but the, at a certain point, they decided, okay, we're taking this out to the streets. This is for everyone. And they just, as, as I said before, they just broke open that treasure house. And they said, this is for everyone. And, um, and yeah, and that's how it um, unfolded. And then, actually, then what happened, one story I wasn't going to mention, but what happened next, it reminds me actually of the story of Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. Because what happened was these caste Brahmins, these sectarian, you got to be born in a Brahmin family, all these kind of things. They went and complained to the Muslim magistrate who, you know, was just trying to keep peace, kind of like Pontius Pilate. He was just trying to keep peace in the area, right? But these Brahmins are complaining. This, this guy, this Nimai Pandit, this Goranga, Lord Chaitanya, he wasn't called Lord Chaitanya yet. He's destroying our whole religion. He's, you know, converting all these low-class people. So you have to do something about it. And so the Muslim magistrate, it's kind of like his hands were tied. And then um, he's, he sent out his soldiers to break the drums, to break the Murdanga drums, and to scare the people so that they wouldn't be doing this kirtan publicly like that. All based on the complaints of these kind of Pharisees, actually, you know? And then, so then Lord Chaitanya, he just became like fire. He said, all right, nothing is going to stop. This is, so this was one of his purposes. We'll get to his internal purpose next, but one of his purposes purposes in his incarnation, in this incarnation, was to deliver, deliver the method of God realization for this age of Kali, which is the chanting of the holy name. So at that point, he became incensed, and he said, no one is going to stop this. So he called all the people, and just on his word, he was a young man, you know, he was under 20 years old, and um, 100,000 people came, and, and they all made torches, like it's described in the in the books that the sun was making was wrapping cloth and and then with oil and you know and then the father would make and the son would make and so a hundred thousand people gathered at night with torches and they marched to the home of this kazi this muslim magistrate and you know all his soldiers were scared you know how are you can how are you going to control and put down this this kirtan revolution really how are you going to control this revolution? There's no way you can. And so then, um, you know, he was terrified and, you know, Lord Chaitanya was telling them, okay, we want a peaceful. So actually, Srila Prabhupada once said, this was the origin of this nonviolent civil disobedience movement before Gandhi, that this demonstration of Lord Chaitanya, this kirtan revolution was the origin of that, that was adopted by Gandhi and later adopted by Dr. Martin Luther King. So it or originated with Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So they marched to the Kazi's house and, the, and then the Kazi terrified, he was afraid he was gonna get killed. So then he, he bravely came out of his house and he sat and spoke um, and they discussed philosophy and um, Nimai Pandit, Lord Chaitanya was called at that time. And then because he was convinced that this can't be stopped and this is the essence of religion. And now this is a beautiful ending to the story. So he was pacified and the, he became a great lover of Lord Chaitanya and Lord Chaitanya loved him. And he, he was called Chand Kazi and he's represented by, um, so Lord Chaitanya's childhood name was Nimai Pandit. He was named after the nim tree. He was born under a nim tree, which is a very, very bitter fruit because all of the previous children of his parents had died. So in order to keep away evil omens, they named him Nimai to protect him. So this Chandkazi, uh, Chand, is, he was represented by the, um, what is this tree? It's a beautiful um, flowering tree. Uh, I forget what it is. Anyway, so in that place, um, you can go there today. There's this one tree wrapped around a nim tree. The two of them are intertwined mystically. And that they're supposed to be like the Chankazi embracing um, Nimai Pandit or Lord Chaitanya. Yeah. That's so amazing. It's so amazing that he won over, you know, such a high official, you know, and was able to move his heart. And you know, I think that's one thing that Kirtan can do 
you know, when, when someone is really sincerely calling out the names of the Lord, it's hard to, it's hard to deny the mood and the, and the effect that that has on one's heart. That's true. And it, and it doesn't have to even be the name Krishna or Ram. It can be any name of God. We, on the Bhakti path, we love the names Krishna and Ram and Hare represents Radha. We love those names, but you know, even in the Bible, it says, praise the name of God with loud cymbals and drums. This is in the Psalms. Praise ye the name of the Lord. And in every culture of the world, there are names of God. So this is really everywhere. And the names are infinite. And in one place, it says that the names of God are as infinite as the waves on the ocean. So um, how, how broad and how non-sectarian. But apparently, this is the process of God realization for this age. Because in previous ages, when they say people live for very vast lifespans, um, the medic process of meditation, the process of great sacrifices, and then um, in the time of Krishna, temple worship. But now in this age of Kali, we're 5,000 years into the age of Kali. The process yeah. is the chanting of the holy names. Mm, beautiful. And, you know, when you, earlier when you were doing the opening, um, some of the opening prayers, you talked about Lord Chaitanya as being the golden one and ha- and him and Lord Nityananda as having really long arms. I was wondering if you could maybe share the significance of both of those. Yeah, well, he was over six feet tall and they, you know, had this golden, his complexion because he took um, the mood and the complexion of Radharani. So he is considered Radha and Krishna combined by our tradition. And so Actually, I want to read something very beautiful to you, a story of how that came about, which I hope you will like. It's a little bit long, but not too long. So this starts with Radha and Krishna having a conversation in Vrindavan. One day, Krishna sat beside Radhika in the forest of Vrindavan. Taking one of her hands in his, he pleaded, please give me something special today. Inwardly, Sri Radha's heart melted at his request, but outwardly, she concealed her secret mind with a studied silence. Speaking no words, but with the tilt of her head, her sidelong glance, Radharani's famous for this sidelong glance, right? And the sign language of her lotus hand, she invited Krishna to tell her what he wanted. And Sri Krishna eagerly obliged her silent invitation with an outburst. Please give me your love. Radha smiled and responded playfully. Oh, but Krishna, this love of mine would be too heavy for you to bear. Just then, the best of Sri Radha's devoted girlfriends, the saucy Lalita, chimed in. Radha's love would be too heavy for you, Krishna. You should know how intense it is. When you are not near, her anxiety knows no limit. And though they try our, and though we try our best, no remedy can be found to assuage her distress. We anoint her body, flaming from the fire of separation, with cooling sandalwood paste, but the sandalwood flies from her body, from her limbs, like dry leaves of paper. We bid her to lie down on a shaded bed we prepared strewn with dampened lotus petals, but the fragrant petals are incinerated by the fever of her longing. So it is true, none but Sri Radha, the queen of Raja, could bear the weight. It would be too heavy for you, Krishna. Hearing these words, Krishna grabbed hold of Radharani's other hand and with tears coming from his lotus eyes, implored once more, but I cannot live without tasting the nectar of this love. Astonished by joy, Sri Radha broadly smiled and as if orchestrated by her heartbeat, all of Raja or Vrindavan fell silent, eavesdropping to hear her jubilant declaration. All right, beloved, I will give you this love you crave, but there's something more. You will need the sanctuary of my golden complexion to shield your beautiful blackish body because the intensity of my love 
will cause you to stumble and fall. And without the protection of my golden effulgence, you will be bruised. This golden hue will indemnify you instantly. No harm will come to ever overtake your soft body, which is more dear to me than life itself. So Krishna was concealed by the molten gold of Sri Radha's dazzling complexion, which causes him to adopt her mood and inner disposition. His limbs began to tremble and dance in jubilation, and he began to cry out as Radha does, Oh Krishna, where are you? Where are you? Oh, ascendant moon risen from the dynasty of Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda. Oh, beloved of my life breath, where are you? As soon as Krishna possessed and was possessed by this love, his amorous cries transformed the landscape. The stones within earshot melted in ecstasy. The trees began to dance and the ardor of the love he felt caused him to crash down like a tree torn from the earth by a gale and cast to the ground. And so it was that Sri Radha's beautiful golden effulgence protected him as she had promised. This is Sri Chaitanya Goranga Mahaprabhu exhibiting Sri Radha's mood in loving Sri Krishna, the greatest love covered by the complexion and the mood of Sri Radha. So this was written by a great devotee from the 18th century, um, Sri Narahari Chakravarti. So this is the explanation of the appearance of Lord Chaitanya as the combined form of, of Radha and Krishna. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful, you know, the heart of this conversation we're having is about the, the sacred heart of the divine feminine. And here we have this incarnation of, you know, of God in the feminine, you know, it's just, it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's so beautiful. He was totally in Radharani's mood, always crying out, oh, my Krishna, where are you, Krishna? And never in this entitled mood, like that I've got it, you know, it was always crying, where are you? Um, where are you, Krishna? And so his ecstasy, you were you titled this session um, together, uh, The Ecstasy of Sri Chaitanya. So I wanted to share a little bit more. This is from the Chaitanya Charitamrita. He says, if by chance, this is Sri Chaitanya speaking, if by chance the transcendental form of Krishna comes before my path of vision, my heart, inspired from being beaten, will be stolen away by Cupid, happiness personified. Because I could not see the beautiful form of Krishna to my heart's content, when I again see his form, I shall decorate the phases of time with many jewels. And then he says a few verses later, if by chance such a moment comes when I can once again see Krishna, then I shall worship those seconds, moments, and hours with flower garlands and pulp of sandalwood and decorate them with all kinds of jewels and ornaments. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? It is. That's so nice. Uh, decorating the phases of time with jewels. If I could again see my beloved. I mean, this is the most beautiful mystic poetry. It's so, so beautiful. It really is. Yeah. And, and, you know, the ecstasy is, is in that, you know, in the words you can just, it's like a palpable, uh, yeah, you know, ec experience of ecstasy and really high, high love and, uh, and longing too, which is interesting because, you know, you'd think if it's God and God, God has created all things that he, she, it should be able to just feel it. But there's this beautiful way in which that separation actually intensifies everything. Yeah. And it's, it's based in, in humility. It's never about putting on a show. And in one place I heard my guru speak uh, so beautifully. He was defining, he was giving like the definition of what it means to be God. He was saying, God means there's no one equal to him and no one greater than him by definition. This is God. 
And then he paused and he said, but Radharani is actually greater than Krishna because her love is greater. So that kind of precipitates this appearance of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, mm -hmm. that Krishna, he's the owner and controller of everything, the enjoyer of everything, everything. He could destroy a universe or create a universe at his will. But there's one thing that he's lacking, and that is he can't understand the extent of Radharani's love. He can't understand the taste or the greatness, the sweetness of her love. And so he appears as Sri Chaitanya in order to taste that love. And his, his Lord Chaitanya's appearance day is coming soon, isn't it? Yes, it's this coming Thursday, March 17th. So it rotates, it's on a lunar calendar, but it sort of coincides. When is the uh, solstice? Uh, it's usually around March 20th, but yeah, I'm not so, sure this year. Yeah, it's around the time of the solstice, but he appeared at the time the moon was rising on the full moon day in, in March, which again rotates by the lunar calendar. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day to celebrate his appearance. And and how, you know, what what were his teachings? Like how what did he say, you know, when he came, what were his what were the ways he gave to his followers? You know, how how do we um step into this bowl of bliss that you know he was just uh you know he was in all the time. What what were the what were the, the practices? Right. Well, he was a great scholar in his youth. Um, you know, he he was uh, like a, a, a genius scholar. But uh, as a matter of fact, let me just share one little story in here that I wanted to share. He was a brilliant scholar, a logician, and you know, defeating the other scholars. There was one great conquering pundit who came and Nimai Pandit was just a teenager and he defeated this scholar and the scholar bowed to him and became his devotee. But there's one story I wanted to share. It's a little short that um, he was riding on a boat on the Ganges. So Navadvip is right on the Ganges River. And he was riding on a boat with another young scholar. And they were talking about the translation work they were doing. And this one, um, Nimai Pandit was saying, I've, I've written a, a Sanskrit uh, uh, grammar, uh, you know, uh, how to, uh, to teach Sanskrit grammar. And this other scholar was shocked and, and so dismayed. And he said, oh, no, I've also written a Sanskrit grammar, but no one will read my, my writing. If you've written one yourself, you're such a, so much greater than I am. So he was so upset and so dismayed. And they were riding on this boat in the Ganges. And Sri Chaitanya, he just said, oh, um, well, then I'll, I'll, I'll throw mine in the river. And he took his, you know, his vast commentary that he'd worked on, he just tossed it right into the river. Mm. And it's so interesting, because that other commentary written by that other scholar is apparently still used today. It's such a great commentary, teaching Sanskrit grammar. But uh, as Nimai Pandit, before really revealing himself, he just threw his in the river. So the reason I mentioned that is you said, well, what are the teachings? So the teachings are all about humility, that we can chant the holy name and they're infinite names of God. But we're, he, he, so he, he was such a, a tremendous scholar, but in his writings he, and his followers who were great scholars and wrote hundreds of thousands of Sanskrit verses one of the followers of Sri Chaitanya, Jiva Goswami, is said to have written 400,000 Sanskrit verses. The entire Mahabharata, which is, I think it's three times the size of the Iliad and the Odyssey combined, is 100,000 Sanskrit verses. So this follower of Sri Chaitanya, Jiva Goswami, who was the nephew of the great Rupa and Sanatan, these are the Goswamis of Vrindavan, he wrote 400,000 Sanskrit verses. But Sri Chaitanya himself only wrote eight verses that we have. And this is called the Sikh Shastakam. You can, um, you know, your, your listeners can, can Google it. S-I-K-S-H-A-S Shastakam. You can Google it and read them. Maybe we don't have time for all of them. But he, in the first of the eight verses, he glorifies the holy name and gives seven, seven benedictions that come from chanting the holy name. And then in the second verse, he says, 
you know, that Krishna, you've given so many names, um, but I'm so unfortunate I have no attraction for chanting them. And in the third verse, he says, and in one place, Lord Chaitanya says that this verse should be worn as a necklace around one's neck, strung on the holy name. And that verse says, it's so important that we should wear it always strung around our neck. And the verse says, um, one should be more humble than a blade of grass. One should be more, have more forbearance than a tree. You know, trees allow themselves to be chopped and they're freezing and they're in the heat. And so we should be, have more forbearance or tolerance than a tree, ready to offer all respect to others and not looking for respect for ourselves. And he, <coughs> he says, Pardon me. that's okay. He says, in this mood, one can chant the holy names of the Lord constantly. So um, that's the third verse of the Sikh Shastam. And then it gradually goes up and, and speaks. We can share a little bit more. But so that mood of humility, that mood of longing and yearning is really intrinsic to the tradition and the, the great teachers. Where are you, Krishna? The six Goswamis of Vrindavan, you know, they were the great teachers of followers of Lord Chaitanya. And they were always in the mood of searching. Where are you, Krishna? Where are you, Radha? Not that I found it, not that I've got it, but that I'm longing and I'm, I'm seeking. And it's much mm -hmm. more humble. And they were never about making an exhibition of this ecstasy. So these ecstatic symptoms, when someone is an authentic uh, practitioner of bhakti, they, they may be overwhelmed with those ecstatic symptoms, but they always try to cover those symptoms and never... Because there are people who are um, who take it cheaply, who try to make a show and make money and create followers by exhibiting. This is very popular in India. Um, sometimes they even will take a chili pepper and push it up their nose and then cry and cry and cry just to make a show. Hmm. But so these are the cheaters um, that have come up, you know, trying to imitate. Um, the ecstasy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the authentic followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu have always distanced themselves from those people. And um, yeah, you know, and, and not to make a cheap exhibition, but just to keep it within oneself and to, to cry and yearn um, in humility. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, it's, um, you know, when I think about when I chant, I've chanted my japa, you know, in the presence of other people, um, you know, there's some people that are really loud, you know, <laughs> honey, Krishna, honey, you know, and, and, you know, that's, I mean, there's different moods, different ways. Um, but I'm always so attracted to the energy of those where it's, it's like a plea. It's like this very quiet, humble, like you can feel the longing in their voice. And it sounds like that's really what Lord Chaitanya, like that's kind of how he led by example. Exactly. It's meant to be audible, but just like a, a quiet mumble, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, under the breath. Mm. And um, yeah, on this topic of not exhibiting falsely, I wanted to read a couple more of his prayers from Chaitanya Charitamrita, where he says, you know, if you see me crying, it's just because I'm a cheater. So, you know, he's, he's so humble. He says, my dear friends, you are all my life and soul. Therefore, I tell you that I possess no wealth of love for Krishna. Consequently, my life is poverty stricken. My limbs and senses are useless. And then he says, my dear friends, I have not the slightest tinge of love of Godhead within my heart. When you see me crying in separation, I am just falsely exhibiting a demonstration of my great fortune. Indeed, not seeing the beautiful face of Krishna playing his flute, I continue to live my life like an insect without purpose. <laughs> wow. Gosh, yeah. It's, I mean, that, that level of, of like just beautiful humility, it's, it, it's really disarming, which I think is, you know, probably why he won over that high official and why hundreds of you know people just followed and and because you know you can't help but love someone who thinks so little of themselves but but i have to say rukmini on the other hand it's like he's this he's like 
Krishna in the mood of Radha and he, and if he doesn't have love, then what chance do I have as a, as like someone who, you know, is, is no one. But you see, he's posing as having no love. So he was, <coughs> he was the great teacher. He was like, Prabhupada describes that, that sometimes a teacher in order to instruct the beginners, like in an elementary school, the teacher who knows English and knows grammar and knows literature will stand at the board and for the, to help the beginners, we'll stand at the board and go, A, B, C, now you write it. So he was coming in that mood. He, the greatest lover, he was chanting his own holy name. He was God himself chanting his own holy name in the mood of Radha, Radha loving Krishna in one form, you know? But he was in this mood of a devotee teaching us how, what it means to love, how to love in an authentic way. It's so, so beautiful. Yeah, you know, so it's, you know, sometimes we hear God is one, right? God is one. But then in order to enjoy pleasure pastimes, Radharani is Krishna's pleasure potency. So in order to, because they say it's lonely at the top, right? You know? So Krishna divided himself into a feminine form, Sri Radha, so that they, the two of them could enjoy these beautiful pleasure pastimes. But then he's seeing that she's tasting more than he's tasting. So then they again combine together and become Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mm. And this is the beautiful ecstasy of, that's being given in this path of Chaitanya Bhakti. So beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Rukmini, for these sharings. <laughs> and are there any other stories you wish to share? Or oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, yeah, let me see. What did I note down? Do we have a little bit more time? We do. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, there's a really beautiful story when Lord Chaitanya. So when he was 24, he took sannyas. He left his his home and he went to. He was headed to Vrindavan, but um, Lord Nityananda tricked him and he came back and got waylaid and then his mother begged him to make his headquarters closer where she could get word of him. So he made his headquarters in Puri, which is like Puri and Navadweep, there are always people going back and forth. So when he was a sannyasi or a renunciate and living in Puri, one of the, the great scholar who he was like the Raj Pandit, he was this king's own scholar. And he was uh, an impersonalist. He was not on the path of bhakti, but uh, Sri Chaitanya uh, melted him with his teachings. And that's a long story that's given in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Please get, you know, if any of you are so inclined, please get the Chaitanya Charitamrita. My teacher translated it from the Bengali in 17 volumes. It's absolutely beautiful. But the story I want to share here. So this great scholar, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, who was an impersonalist, he was not on the path of bhakti. He became a great follower of Sri Chaitanya. And then what, but what happened was his son-in-law, son-in-law, was very envious of Chaitanya and always blaspheming Chaitanya, always criticizing, 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 and blaspheming. And, um, you know, and then, and then Sarvabhoma, his father-in-law and his wife, they didn't know what to do. And they were so distraught that their son-in-law was acting like this. So then the Lord Chaitanya was just, you know, he was just equipoised, didn't pay any attention. But then what happened was this Amoga, he contacted cholera, this terribly infectious disease due to all of his offenses, you know. And then he was, he was actually dying of cholera, which no one wants to come near someone with such an infectious disease, right? And Sri Chaitanya went to him. And he touched him, he's touched his heart. And he said, Amoga, the heart of a Brahmin is supposed to be a very pure place. How have you allowed these, this envy to come into your heart? He touched his heart. And then he was cured of this, um, of this cholera. And then um, the story goes that, that Amoga became also uh, became a devotee of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu after that. Mm -hmm. And he was slapping his mouth. My mouth has offended you. And he was dancing in ecstasy. <laughs> his mouth, this mouth has offended you. So 
that's another story. Oh, that's that's a sweet one. And there's so many, many more in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Your listeners can look, or the Chaitanya Bhagavat. Beautiful stories of the childhood, the the youth, the um the you know the older adulthood, and then finally his renunciation. Mm. So much to share. Yeah, perhaps you could send me some links of your favorite translations, and I can post them for people to follow so that they can find these these texts and stories. Sure, I can do that. Wonderful. Well, good. Well, this has been such a pleasure and I'm so excited to celebrate this day and, you know, just walk, walk away. I think for me today with just a deeper appreciation of Lord Chaitanya and what he brought and what a different world it is because of his contributions. So beautiful. Yes. So this Thursday is what's called his appearance day, which means birthday, but his, his holy appearance day. So please try to celebrate his appearance day by, you know, kirtan. Have have kirtan, share some sacred food, dance, read some of his pastimes, and and celebrate his appearance and and accept his gifts. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. And if you're looking for good kirtan, Rukmini's son Gauravani has <laughs> wonderful albums. So he's on every music platform. And I'll put a link there to his music too, because that's that's the kind of my jams. I, I really love and enjoy, enjoy his music. So, well, thank you so much, Rukmini. And oh, one more thing before we leave is we do have um, our live Q&A that we've scheduled for April. Um, so we have it scheduled on Thursday, April 14th at 3 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Central time and 12 noon Pacific time. And I'll be sending out reminders. And I know my husband, Achuta Bhavadas, will be as well. Um, so we'll send out links. So if you'd like to join and ask Rukmini your questions and raise any, um, yeah, even your uh, takeaways, you know, something that you want to share that you learned from any of these talks um, we'll be welcoming your voices then. Wonderful. Thank you so much, dear Ashley. Thank you, Rukmini. Yeah, Krishna.